1: PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is just a little content warning that this episode of Irrational Fear will cover issues of sexual assault. This podcast is supported in part by the Bertha Foundation. Hello, Lewis. Hello, Daniel. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. I want to be say a big thank you to new and returning Patreon supporters. We've had Patreon supporters that have gone away and have come back which is really exciting news for everyone
2: <laughs> I can understand the first part the second part is a real mystery
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know I know uh, a big thank you to Gus McNall Danny Reid and Pete Lawler who have all joined up in Patreon this week big thank you to everyone how are you Lewis you okay Oh, I'm all right, Dan. I mean, it's been a bit of a week. It's been a bit of a week. That's why we're here. We'll we'll kick off. Uh, I'm recording my end of Irrational Fear on the land of the Tharawal. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show.
3: Irrational Fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra Fair <coughs> <coughs> and Section 40 <coughs>. Irrational Fear recommends listening by immature audiences.
1: Tonight, Attorney General Christian Porter has heard rumours that he's taking a short leave of absence but doesn't know any specifics. And Channel 7 cast Chappelle Corby in Dancing with the Stars because Mark Chopper-Reed was unavailable. And the UN Chief demands Australia ends its deadly addiction to coal by 2030. In response, Scott Morrison broke into the UN Chief's house, stole his VHS recorder and sold it for a lump of the good stuff. It's the 5th of March 2021 and no journalist has ever asked me about this podcast. This is Irrational Fear.
2: Irrational Fear! (laughs)
1: Hello, welcome to Rational Fear. I'm your host, former Duke of Essex, Dan Illich. Rational Fear is the podcast that holds your hand through the scariest forest of news, and we're doing it this week, so let's meet our fear mongers for tonight. She spends her days wading through the rubble of trouble from the Canberra bubble.
0: It's Amy (laughs) Ramikus. Hello. That's a very nice way of... Putting it, I, I wade through the piles of shit. That's my job is. That's what I do. Amy, how are
1: your rage levels as of today for this week?
0: Oh, I, I, I am incandescent with rage. I don't think I'd screamed burn it all down so often in my life. And that was just Monday. So, you know, it's been going great.
1: And he's one of Australia's most prolific comedy creators. He quit journalism for the stability of comedy. It's Adam Zwa. Hello, Adam. Any regrets about leaving journalism after a week like this? It was a wise decision, wasn't it?
3: Uh, Yeah, I'm exhausted and I'm not even involved in any way, uh, so I can't imagine how you feel, Amy. Um, Yeah, full on.
2: (laughs) It's lucky you got out, Adam. You would have been joining the the, um,
3: mob of media bullies. <laughs> <laughs> you do realize I was the lightweight among journalists. I, I used to write show business journalism. You know, to...
0: That is one of the uh, like nastiest bits to be in show business journalism. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to come across you in a yeah, dark alley. Yeah, I
1: I've I've been on the I've been on the nasty end of a Peter Ford quip on a current affair where he he said, wow. Dan Illich, I've never heard of him.
0: I think he's blocked <laughs> me on Twitter. I don't think we've had any interactions, and then just one day I discovered I was blocked on Twitter and I was like Who even are you, Peter Ford?
1: And our final fear monger is considering becoming a celebrant. I've already booked him to officiate my funeral. It's Lewis Hobber. Hello,
2: Dan. Did I tell you that? I actually did drunkenly consider becoming (laughs) a celebrant.
1: (laughs) Well, I think you should. I mean, you're tall, you're handsome, you're good with your voice.
2: Thank you. I mean, I don't think there are any of those are relevant qualifications to cel- be a celebrant in <laughs> a wedding. But um, because I get, I, I'm sure you guys get this as well, if you talk into a microphone professionally, you get asked to MC every wedding. Like, yep. I've MC'd more weddings than I've attended. And occasionally, people do pay me to DJ. So if I could <laughs> add celebrant, then I could literally be
1: the whole wedding. <laughs> Coming up, ecosystems all around Australia and the Antarctic are suffering huge levels of decline and are on the brink of collapse. Joining us to discuss which ecosystem is likely to be last and where you should be building your eco-doom bunker <laughs> is climate counsellor Leslie Hughes. But first, a message from our sponsor. It's the Harvey Norman swimming in money sale. There's so much money,
3: we're drowning in it. Profits up 116%. Sales up by $462 million. As a bonus, we're keeping jobs That's right, $22 million from the government to help struggling businesses during the pandemic. The only thing we're struggling to do is find space to put all this excess cash. $22 million, tax-free, interest-free, no cash back. The savings are huge at Harvey Norman, if you're me, Jerry Harvey. It's the Harvey Norman swimming in money sale. All cash has got to stay, stay, stay...
1: bit of a long tail out on that one. This works first beer. Uh, the Attorney General, Christian Porter, claims he is innocent of any allegations of sexual assault in 1988. He was adamant that the allegations uh, that he he himself hadn't seen were completely false. Uh, it was an extraordinary press conference this week. Porter claimed that no one put to him the allegations ever. I think what he meant to say was, I hadn't seen or heard anyone putting the allegations to me because if the, the Attorney General knew how to read his emails or pick up a phone from the hundreds of journalists trying to put the allegations to him, then maybe he would have. He also had the gall to suggest that the media were trying to, quote, ruin his life, forgetting that someone's life was literally ruined. Worst of all, consequences for Porter is that it would, he would have to step down from politics and go to work in a law firm for four times the money that he's on now. It's a bit hmm. like um, Schrodinger's career. Inside is a box and you're not quite sure whether the career is alive or dead and the only way to find out is if you open the box. But no way. No one wanted to open that box, not even a series of success Prime Ministers. The AG's job is very important to him. After all, the twice-divorced porter only has his job. It's not like he can quit to spend more time with his families because they don't want to be near him. (laughs) It was a very, very strange press conference indeed. Fearmongers, what were your strangest moments from this remarkable presser? Amy, let's start with you.
0: I mean, it does have to be said straight up that he does absolutely deny it even happened at all, that there was any sort of consensual relationship between him and the complainant uh, and he just says it doesn't, it hasn't happened at all and I have to put that out there for legal reasons because (laughs) uh, this is a live legal issue. He has already said that he is trawling through social media and news stories and the like for defamation, so he denies everything. The most extraordinary part of the press conference for me, apart from some random memory of a bowl of prawns (laughs) that he mentioned, he remembered from the 1988 night, uh, well, period in question from the complainant, uh, was that he basically said that he would be, if this was independently investigated or there was an independent inquiry, he would be the first person in history to have to disprove something that never happened and to me that was extraordinary because that's the basis of every not guilty or denial plea that's ever been made you're you're saying it doesn't happen that's that's part of it if you're saying it doesn't happen uh, then you, you are asked to explain your side of the story. It's not unique. And then when he went on to say that the basically the rule of law would collapse if he was asked to, uh, to go through some sort of other inquiry uh, because, you know, anyone could make any sort of allegation and it would immediately ruin a MP's career, which again is not true. You... Have independent inquiries all the time in the sports world, in churches, in schools, in businesses. It's not an either-or situation.
1: That line, that line, if he said when he said if he stepped down, it would, it would be the end of the rule of law. That was quite a, a quite a, a very strange line. Like I think we all remember when the Pope retired, uh, Catholicism disappeared. I think it's the same sort of thing, same sort of logic he's <laughs> mm-hmm. going for there.
2: It is one that he uh, sort of had this, like, vision that if a man is ever actually or a politician is ever actually convicted of a sex crime, the next day it's the Thunderdome.
0: (laughs) Well, true, yes. But, like, that's the, the other point, though, is that we're not even talking convictions. This is not going to a criminal court. It can't. The complainant has passed away. They passed away before they made an official complaint. They withdrew it before their death. There was never any formal interview process. The police literally cannot investigate this. There is no way that they can. So this is never going to a criminal court the only way you have to test whether he's fit to sit in the ministry is an independent inquiry which has to be called by the prime minister and he's not even being asked to 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 resign he's just basically being asked to maybe step aside while this inquiry is carried out which is something that happens all the time it's just it's extraordinary that we've now reached these peaks of just it's going to burn down democracy and the rule of law if we look into this any further. And the fact that the government is just picking up that line and running with it and the Prime Minister is pretending to be a passive bystander, he's like, oh, well, you know, the police have had their say, there's nothing I can do and people believe it is extraordinary to me. It, it's mm. such
1: it's such a passing of the buck again of all kinds of responsibility. Like this is exactly the ScoMo playbook. It's like it's not my problem, it's somebody else's problem. It's not our problem. It's not our fault. It's, it's not my responsibility. It's just continually passing the buck. 730s, Laura Tingle made a point um, that back in the olden days that uh, some people had shame and that politicians would resign that over the slightest smell of impropriety. Uh, I think one mm-hmm. of the one of the ones that sticks out to my mind was Peter Reith. Um, like having a, a, a massive scandal around Peter Reed's telecard card, which is his telecom card that he gave to his <laughs> son, that his son racked up forty or $50,000 worth of phone calls on. I don't even know how you could do that. Uh, and that almost <laughs> brought down the government. But like nowadays politicians are just sticking around. They're just sticking to their guns uh, and toughening it out yep. and, until they pass through. What do you think is, what do you think is driving this trend?
0: going back to you know like you know times when people just resigned over almost nothing there was a resignation because someone took a paddington bear toy into australia without declaring it and paying tax there was a resignation because an mp brought in a he imported a color television and he put down that it was a black and white television so we didn't pay the proper amount of tax on that he resigned over that like it's just we've gone from that to a point where we have had sports riots, and we've had you know questions over Angus Taylor's involvement in like you know certain other projects. Then we've had uh, bullying allegations during the Liberal Party leadership spills, like the many many Liberal Party leadership skills spills. Then we've had the handling of the Brittany Higgins allegations, and now we have. A rape allegation and we've still got a Prime Minister saying, I don't hold a hose or an inquiry. It's just insane to me.
1: (laughs) I think I don't hold a hose is going to be the meme of his tenure. That that would be the symbol of his entire Prime Ministership. Adam, what do you think about
3: that? Yeah, I I agree. I remember there was a time when people resigned. I think they probably started uh, well, they stopped resigning around 2017, 2018. I I remember... uh, I think, so Barnaby Joyce, he left the uh, leadership of the Liberal Party, of the National Party in 2018. I think that was the last resignation I can remember, really. There, Al Franken, who was the senator, I remember it. That was 2017 that he, there was a rumour, there was an accusation that he forced a woman to kiss him, and then he, he demanded an investigation into himself, and I think seven other women came forward, and so he resigned. Right now you've got Andrew Cuomo. He's not going anywhere. Um, Three women have come out accusing him of sexual harassment. Trudeau, three times he was photographed in blackface. Uh, Attorney General of Virginia, Mark Herring, blackface again. All those people are are holding firm. And I think it's, you know, we can blame Trump, but I think it actually goes back to Boris Johnson when he, there was, you know, a number of scandals that he was involved in that just didn't touch the sides with him. It's something about those guys that just... They just huge hide, don't care what you think. Kind of love, love the fight. <laughs> you know, Boris Johnson had multiple affairs. He doesn't admit to how many children he's got. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that,
1: that, that's a great start. That is. That is. I don't hold a penis, mate. That is. Uh, that is. <laughs> or a
0: condom, <laughs> yeah, apparently. It's totally fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's obfuscation, right there. um There was an article in nine papers today that said Scomo praised Porter's gutsy performance. Is Scomo the world's most powerful drama teacher, Adams? Well,
3: <laughs> yeah. He like he takes the acting really seriously because it, you know as we know he was a child actor in the. The the Vicks ads back in the day, and um, <laughs>
1: do people know this that he he was a child actor in a Vicks vapor drops ad when in in the seventies and eighties? I didn't know that. Yeah,
3: yeah, we're struggling to find out which ad it actually is. It's kind of hard because you know he's there's not a kind of a fat ball kid in any of the ads. It's Just like, <laughs> yeah, kind of like cute kids with hair, and how do you kind of pick out SCOMO? <laughs> There's a, like I can see the tricks of the trade that he's using. You know, when he was talking about the Jenny thing the other day and he was saying that when Jenny, he had talked about it with Jenny and, you know, Jenny said, think about it if it was one of your daughters, he thought he was in a Ken Loach film when he was doing that. He was really searching <laughs> for the, the meaning and he was, like, really loading those pauses, you know. You've got to be a lovey to know like shit. He knows, and he when he's standing behind people talking, you know they've discussed the talking points beforehand. Yeah, and it's almost yeah. as though his lips are moving, like he he's kind of, and he's kind kind of getting a little bit impatient with that they're not delivering the lines as well as he would have, and you know he kind of, he kind of does he, he you know in his smirky horrible way. He he's a he's. A strong performer, whether you like him or not. He kind of just, he, he holds up. He keeps holding up despite the evidence being against him all the time. Well,
2: I the, that performance, I think, that that he does with the pauses, it's very reminiscent of a genuinely angry dad when you're a child. Like, mm. I think when you're getting told off by a dad and you can and he yells at you and then there's a silence, uh, that grabs you as a, as, like, everyone remembers that being yelled at like that but the problem is that he's starting to double up on the same performance so there was there was this one where he did that performance he was like come on you know this and then there was the exact exact thing from a year ago where he does the same performance but the point of the performance a year ago was that he's yelling at journalists because he's like there's problems all over the place women are getting raped and we're not (laughs) listening to them and you're like, ah, oh, these performances are really now clashing.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, not, that's not the tone we need for this particular point of view right now.
3: Well, you, you get other takes, don't you? You
1: get another take if you don't get it right. <laughs> <thing.
3: laughs> Line it up, Scott. One more. Well, I Scott- love what you're doing.
2: We've got that one.
1: <laughs> that's right. Scott's always got another doorstop to get to, so he can always try it out again there. That's it, yeah. Amy, I want to ask you this. I don't know if you're across this, but I saw that, Porter could possibly have his fate decided for him by the AEC by the time the next election rolls around because because of a whole demographic shift from WA to Victoria the AEC is planning on abolishing Porter's seat of Pierce. Do you is this the most yep. is this the most humane way to put Porter down? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know about that. It is a very live issue for WA politics at the moment, whether, you know, Porter's seat will exist. And it's going to be very interesting from a purely political viewpoint of how much political capital he still has in the WA branches, because usually when this sort of stuff happens is the... Heavyweights get to move into somebody else's safe seat, and that person ends up resigning. So, you, you and you see those battles happen, you know, kind of everywhere. I mean, Labor went through one in Victoria when Melbourne had a whole bunch of, you know. The reselections in terms of where the boundaries were going and that sort of thing. There was a lot of shuffling around and who got to go where. Craig so Kelly, Craig Kelly's now an independent. Craig Hugh, Kelly.
1: Hughes is looking pretty <laughs> attractive, maybe. Porter <laughs> yeah, could be putting for Hughes. Was, I
0: think I think he'll probably stay in WA. There was some uh, talk at the time that he might want Julie Bishop's old seat and that he was making a move for that even back then because it's a much much safer seat than his is, uh, but it really is going to depend on how the next couple of weeks slash months, like, play out. And when you're talking about Morrison's performance, and I refuse to call him ScoMo because that is a nickname he gave himself. It is a marketing (laughs) name. You cannot allow the man to just create, like, the man, the myth, the legend with a nickname he gave himself. So we need to, like, you know, move on from the ScoMo talk. But he performs mostly for the televisions and those pauses are for the grabs. He just wants the TVs to have a neat cut of him saying his very profound statement, cut one, cut two, boom, that's all anybody hears from the Prime Minister and everyone moves on. Because I think if we remember about politics, one of the key rules is that you don't want people thinking about politics because if you think about politics, you'll begin to pay attention to what the government's doing and if you're doing that, you will probably vote them out. He doesn't want you thinking about it. He wants you just ignoring it, Going, oh, that's just a Canberra Parliament bubble thing. Move on. How about them sharkies?
3: <laughs> what I was talking about with the pauses was the was the in the in the my daughter's thing. He was trying to tap into an emotional place there to show us that he was human, and in doing so, it just looked worse than normal. I thought I thought I thought he was actually trying to go a little bit too far. And being a child actor, as we know, with all child actors, they don't develop into proper actors they they retain it's like really two dimensional kind of truths that they search for and it's and it's on the nose
2: um, I imagine if we ever yeah. go back and find that vixad it'll just be Some kid (laughs) coughing desperately and a young scoma going, I don't hold a Vix, mate.
4: (laughs) Irrational fear. That's a matter for the Queensland government. I mean, that's a matter for the Premier. That's a matter that I'll I'll raise with other Premiers and Chief Ministers. That's really a question to the Premier.
1: That's a matter I'm, I'm happy to take up with the other Premiers and Chief Ministers. Irrational fear. Let's move on to our second fear this week. As mentioned at the top of the show, there's a new wildcard entry for Dancing with the Stars, Chappelle Corby, which um, makes me ask the question: have TV producers run out of genuine Australian stars now? Uh, fearmongers, fear mongers, are we gonna call Chappelle a star here? Who else should be given a crack at dancing with the stars? I've got a small list. Um, Ned Kelly, uh, George Pell, Martin Bryant. <laughs> Martin Bryant's still alive. He'd be, you know, we could get him on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs>
2: I like I like Chappelle on Dancing with the Stars, but I think it should be kind of like a 90s rave. Like she should just throw down three pills and then the episode goes for 12 hours. And we just see how long she can shuffle for.
1: <laughs> this is really sad for NIDA, NIDA graduates, I've always thought. I thought NIDA graduates, graduating NIDA now, now have to go and commit some extremely drastic crimes overseas so they can get cast on these shows. <laughs>
0: Like, like <laughs> let's remember, though, Pauline Hanson was a star on this show after she had, you know, got out of jail, after she was, you know, wrongly convicted or expunged or whatever they ended up saying there. And before she was back in politics, we ran out of stars a very, very long time ago. <laughs> I mean, I just – I think we went through – we went through whoever was in Neighbours and Home and Away that wasn't a Hemsworth, and then I think maybe they dug up some, like, you know, people from Better Homes and Gardens – then they went through some like, you know, I don't know, the block contestants and then they were like, oh, who else? Who's coming out of jail now? Pauline Hanson, come on down.
2: Yeah, but the, the, the reality TV pipeline now is just kind of like an Escher sketch where you try to walk out of maths and you accidentally walk onto the block and then when you yeah. leave, all of a sudden you're on X Factor and you can you're never in Bachelor leave.
0: You're in Paradise and then you're stuck Damn. in that island and you find yourself in Survivor and then you're just all like, you know, put and out of raft somewhere and it's, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And it's, it's this never-ending Dante circle of, like, reality TV.
3: What about the, like the cast of insiders? <laughs> <laughs> Phil Curry on Dancing on Dancing in the Stars. David Marsh. I would pay
0: to watch that. Actually, I would. Pay Amy to watch Amy Ramikus
1: on Dancing with the Stars. There you go.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would, you know, probably s- drop some really unfortunate swear word and then just get voted <laughs> off and then just go straight into my next reality TV show. <laughs>
3: and you're all dancing with your mobile phones. You're watching your mobile phones.
0: Yeah, the- yeah, I am. I'm just all like, do you see what the fuck? <laughs> they have
1: done. That would be all of my routines. Adam, you're an executive producer of many TV shows. Is this um? Mm. Is it appealing to you to cast Chappelle in something?
3: Do you know what? I, like I saw um, S.A.S. Australia. Oh, and uh, I, I watched that with interest. It's the only Channel Seven show I think I've watched in the last you know decade. Um, and uh, I really liked it. And Chappelle, I was very skeptical of when she came on, but she was so lovely she's a very sensitive nice person that's how she came across anyway and she won me over I was actually a little bit moved when she got voted out I mean she was terrible at SAS she shouldn't be anywhere near near right you know she shouldn't be running 10 kilometers with a backpack on and no one uh, should no <laughs> and she she uh yeah she was she was okay so She's not going to be any good at dancing. She'll be fired off in the first week. But you know, she'll be sweet about it and 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 take some money. I, I definitely think it was her brother who did it.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Rational fear. This is
1: irrational fear. Turning now to a topic close to this podcast heart, the end of the world. A groundbreaking report has just been released to say that 19 ecosystems around Australia are at major threat of collapse. That is, they are deteriorated so badly they are unlikely to recover, a bit like my older brother's hairline. It's, it's never coming back and I feel like I'm next. <laughs> One of the authors of the report and longtime friend of the show is Professor Leslie Hughes. Leslie joins us now. Thank you, Professor Hughes, for joining us. Hi Dan, great to be here. So nineteen ecosystems doesn't sound like a lot, but when you see it mapped out across the continent, the way that the report has it, it feels like the whole of Australia is it is in peril. Is it imminent collapse period?
4: Well, in some cases, yes. The the ecosystems, as you can see on the map in the paper, go from right at the northern tip right down through the continent, right from east to west and then down to Antarctica. They're spread out all over the place. Uh, Some of them are ecosystems that are really well known, like the Great Barrier Reef, and others will be ones that most people haven't heard of, but they're all in trouble.
1: Uh, the ones that people haven't heard of, do they need some kind of PR campaign? Is that something that we can help out with?
4: Um, yes, I guess I guess so. I mean, some of them aren't quite as spectacular as the Great Barrier Reef or, or the Murray-Darling Basin, but uh, they're all in trouble. They all have species that are disappearing. They all provide services to, to our health and well-being. In some cases, they've been in trouble for a very long time, whereas in other cases, the, the evidence of decline has been quite rapid and quite recent.
1: Where are the ones that, that the evidence of decline has been rapid? Like, what are the ones that have kind of, you know, fallen over pretty quickly?
4: Well, we've, we've seen things, well, coming back to the Great Barrier Reef, you know, in the last five years, we've had three major bleaching events from, from underwater heat waves, and that's resulted in about 50% of loss of all of the corals on the Great Barrier Reef. If you think about a reef system, you can see it from space. It's more than 2000 kilometers long and we've lost half the corals that's a pretty major event and it's actually happened, you know, in geological time very, very rapidly. Um, And then a couple of years ago, for example, just over the space of a couple of days, we had massive fish kills in the Menindee Lakes as a result of of drought and heat and loss of water uh, with millions of fish dying in in the space of two or three days. So some of these things can happen really, really fast. What
1: does this kind of Collapse mean for Australia's ability to feed itself, to kind of, you know, provide agriculture for itself and, and as a, as an agriculture nation?
4: Well, indeed. Uh, two of the ecosystems that we mentioned in the report are the Murray-Darling waterways and the Murray-Darling sort of what we call riparian vegetation, which is the vegetation around the river. Um, over the last few decades, there's been a massive decline in rainfall, And on top of that, of course, we're removing lots of that water for for, uh, irrigation and for urban uses. And those two things together, uh, together with, you know, runoff of nutrients and sediment from from agricultural fertilisers, are really destroying those ecosystems. And the Murray-Darling Basin is where we produce a third of our food. So when, when you've got those ecosystems that are so intricately entwined with our life support system in, in, in the form of our food security, there's, there's some really serious things going on.
1: Man, it sounds uh, sounds uh, dire. Like, it sounds like there's nowhere to go.
2: <laughs> Is there any positive to look at it? Can we eat the fish from the Menindi Lakes or can we take the bleached coral and use it to decorate Byron Bay Airbnbs?
4: Well, yeah, you can't eat bleached coral and I guess you'd have to get to the fish pretty fast before they poisoned you. So um, (laughs) there's always some creative things that you could do with uh, destroyed ecosystems but it would be better to do something positive to, to stop and then reverse this decline.
1: Is there an ecosystem that's thriving right now? Is there a place in Australia that's like, hell yeah, this is great, Woo.
4: You know, I can't think of one.
1: <laughs> God damn it, Leslie. Come
4: on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, if you think back to the Black Summer bushfires, for example, the, the amount of area burnt in those fires is about three times the size of Tasmania. There's about 20% of our eucalypt forests burnt that summer. So, you know, that's just the East Coast and a bit of Western Australia.
1: Uh, I was just saying, I'm in Jervis Bay right now, and we've been driving up and down the South Coast. and uh, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometers, it is just recovering uh, forests, and it's so stark to drive through these places that you. I remember seeing on the news a year ago, thinking, "Wow, like this is just this is just so epic." The amount of bushland that was burned over that summer, and it's only kind of recovering now. And I was, I'm just thinking about all the wildlife that has gone missing, uh, particularly over that strange dark yeah. period.
4: Yes, yeah, so one of my colleagues at the University of Sydney estimated that uh, around about three billion vertebrate animals—that's birds, mammals, and reptiles—probably directly perished in the fires, and of course many more would have died of starvation and predation afterwards. So, um, but look, the eucalypt forests that you've been driving through are recovering. They'll—they'll—you know—they're fairly well adapted to to fires, but. The the really different thing about that summer's bushfires is that we had massive fires go through rainforests, uh, the Gondwana rainforests that that don't burn usually. Um, um, We had some a few years ago in the Tasmanian World Heritage Area that killed trees that were 1,000 years old. So what we're seeing with with climate change increasing the severity and intensity and frequency of these fires is places burning that have never burnt in the last 1,000 years.
1: With with this work that you've just kind of released, uh, it's a big job to kind of uh, kind of categorize every kind of ecosystem in Australia and, and put it kind of put it through the that that filter. How did this this job kind of come about? How did this piece of work get built?
4: Well, there was a, a workshop down in Canberra at, at the Academy of Sciences in 2018 that brought a number of us together to to talk about what we called ecological surprises. Um, and a number of people spoke at that conference, including myself. and when the people at the conference got together afterwards, we sort of sat around and thought, well look we really should write something up so that that this what's been talked about at the conference can be on paper and disseminated beyond these walls." And so, really, for the last couple of years, that paper has been put together. More and more people came on board who were expert in particular ecosystems. Um, It's been a massive job. There's a massive amount of data and uh, references in this paper. But finally, to all of our great relief, it was published last week.
2: I mean, given that there's, you know, 19 ecosystems, you've got the Great Barrier Reef in there, one of the most famous in Australia and the world, we still can't get anyone to do anything about that the most uh, famous one that we know generates billions of dollars of tourism, Uh, there's still nothing they can do about that, let alone the other 18. When you get together with your group who have made these discoveries, what's the mood?
4: (laughs) Um, It's a good question. I think anybody that works both in environmental conservation and climate change, and I work in both of those areas, kind of gets pretty used to being depressed about it all most of the time. <laughs> you know, you, you get you do get you do have to get hardened to it, which doesn't mean that you give up and stop going. But nothing much surprises you anymore. You know, we sort of expect the worst and on occasion when we get a small victory, we celebrate that. Um, But generally they are small and fleeting victories against a backdrop of really extraordinary loss. But, I mean, the alternative is to just crawl under your doona and ignore it and and hope that it all goes away or gets better And, and really that's not really an option for most of us.
1: Uh, I'm yeah. glad it's not an option for you, Leslie. That's that's great. It's <laughs> yeah. great. great. Glad someone gets a lot of work. <laughs> um, you last time we hung out was in Paris at the climate talks. Um, you are a representative on the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change. We're heading into COP26 in Glasgow. First of all, what is what is COP26 going to look like in this kind of pandemic situation that we've got? Is it going to be face to face?
4: Look, we don't know. I mean, I guess with the vaccine rollout, especially in places like the UK, which seems to be going pretty well, I think um, we would hope that it would be at least partially face to face. Of course, the the Glasgow meeting was supposed to happen last year and and didn't happen at all. Um, So there's another year down the track and emissions keep going up. I think one of the really major things that will be different about this year, whether it's in person or not, is the fact that Joe Biden's administration has put climate change front and centre. So that's given an enormous boost of hope going forward. And I think that the atmosphere in Glasgow this year um, will be very different to what it might have been last year under the Trump administration. So whether it's in person or not, that's a a really important difference.
1: And uh, i I don't want to kind of put you on the spot here, but what do you think Australia is going to take to Glasgow? Do you think Australia is going to be a better actor than it has been at previous um, conferences of parties?
4: Well, look, you've just been talking earlier in the podcast about this government's ability to just sort of solder on <laughs> unchanged regardless of extraordinary scandal The government's attitude to climate change is is also an extraordinary scandal, but they've proved thus far to be able to sort of tough out all sorts of things. So my prediction would be is we'll go to Glasgow with no further level of ambition than we took to Paris, despite all evidence that that is not enough. I'd love to be surprised by that.
1: Like, even with Europe and the UK starting to think about financial penalties for uh, and mm-hmm. tariffs on, on high carbon countries, do you think that'll change what we take to Glasgow at all?
4: Well, it might do. In fact, I think that's probably the only thing that will turn this government around to, to being a, a better player in this space. You know, if if places like the EU and the US start to impose carbon tariffs on countries like Australia, who are not pulling their weight, then we will have to change because we are so reliant for our economy on on our trade. So, you know, it's sad that we should be dragged kicking and screaming to that position when Australia has so much to earn from renewables and, and green manufacturing.
2: It does seem like Australia has two options. One, that option, the smart one, two. Jenny starts to care and tells <laughs> Scott.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's the battle for Jenny.
4: Uh, you know, we should put mm. it to Scott that that his his kids and grandkids are going to live hopefully into the next century, and if we if we carry on the way we're going, um, with three degrees or more of temperature increase. That is pretty much an uninhabitable world that those kids and grandkids are going to be inheriting. So if he really does care about his kids, if anybody cares about their kids and and future generations, they should be absolutely as passionate about climate action as I am.
1: And, Leslie. As part of this big bit of work that you've released this week, you've kind of put together uh, a a bit of a a scheme called the three A's, a way that people can kind of do their, uh, kind of get involved with their own action in meaningful ways. What are the three A's?
4: Yeah, we wanted to put forward a sort of a a framework of hope going forward. We didn't just want to catalogue the problems as so many of these sorts of papers do, so uh, the first day is awareness, you know, and that's what we've been doing with is raising awareness about the true extent of the trouble that Australian ecosystems are in. The second is anticipation. If if you can anticipate future decline, hopefully you can get in and do something about it before it happens. And the third A, of course, is action. And what we do in the paper is for each of those ecosystems, we outline a series of management actions that if implemented, would help halt and possibly in some cases reverse the decline. Of course, most of those are local actions that address things like habitat clearing and over-allocation of fresh water and that sort of thing. But on top of all of that is the global action that we need on climate change.
1: If I was not a generous person, I'd ask you why there wasn't a fourth A, Angus Taylor, why wasn't that on the list?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Angus Taylor gets the prize for the most Orwellian-named ministry, you know, the Minister of Emissions Reduction reduction, um, (laughs) that is wanting us to put in new coal-fired <laughs> power stations. You know, it does beg a belief.
2: His absence as the fourth A is is kind of a hole. It's an, it's an A-hole. <laughs> the <Angus> uh. <laughs> Very good.
1: That's it for Rational Fear. Big thank you to all of our guests, Professor Leslie Hughes, Adam Zwa, Amy Ramikis, and Lewis Hobber. Have you got anything to plug? Amy, do you want to plug anything?
0: Oh, no, just speak to your MPs. Just be loud and angry and not at me at social media. Like, just take it to the people who represent you. It's the only way you're going to get action.
1: <laughs> Adam Zwaard, do you want to plug anything?
3: Nothing to plug, Dan, which is a relief, <laughs> isn't
1: it? Uh, <laughs> it's very good. Lewis Hobart, what are you plugging?
3: Uh, nothing, Dan. No,
2: this is but but the usual. Still doing the radio show. You can listen if you like, but, you yeah,
1: know. No big deal. Leslie Hughes, what do you have anything to plug?
4: Uh, I'd like to plug the Climate Council, which is working very hard now in our eighth year to inform the Australian public about climate change.
1: And for, for kids who are listening to this, uh, ask your parents about what the Climate Council is and how it was formed. It was this incredible story over a two week period, where uh, where one government department got shut down and the carbon and the and the Climate Council came together with a whole bunch of public donations and it was absolutely remarkable. Uh, very inspiring stuff. Uh, Amy, on a personal note, thank you for your hard work this week. It's been so fun watching you on Twitter and heartening to see you. At the coalface of such a very difficult story, and he- helping all of us on Twitter in particular channel our rage as to what was going on. So thank you.
0: Oh, uh, thank you for listening.
1: Big thanks to Roadmarks, the Bertha Foundation, our Patreon supporters, Jacob Brown on the teppanyaki timeline, Rupert Dagas for his incredible voice, Kelly and David, Pete, and all the Discord crew. And until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Good night.
0: Planning for your next
3: trip.